Welcome to the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Podcast, brought to you by Limitless Estates, where Kyle and Lolita talk to top experts and seasoned passive investors in the business to help provide clarity and key insights to keep you safe on your journey to financial freedom. Our goal is to help you get educated on how to create passive income for you and your family using real estate as your vehicle. If you enjoy the show, please go to iTunes and leave a rating and written review to help us grow and reach more listeners. Now, here are your hosts, Kyle and Lolita. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Podcast. I'm your co-host, Lolita, also joined by Kyle. Before we get started, please make sure to head over to our website, limitless-estates.com, and grab our free Passive Investor's Guide. Also, if you're interested in learning more about what we do, you can schedule a call with Kyle on our website as well. All right, now let's get into our show. Today, we have Kevin Sharkey, a.k.a. Sharkey, here with us. Sharkey, how's it going? I'm good. I'm well. How about you guys? We are doing good. Thanks for joining us. Before we head into the interview, here's a little bit about Sharkey. Sharkey got his start in real estate back in 2003 when a value-add property practically fell into his lap in Philadelphia. For the past 15 years, Sharkey has worked in the television industry and has managed well over $100 million in show budgets for various TV production companies. His executive background, networking, and self-education has helped him become a limited partner in two out-of-state multifamily properties totaling 396 doors. So we can't wait to hear more about your journey. So Sharky, can you please take it from here and tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself and what you currently do? Thanks, Lolita. So I'm a TV executive. I work at a production company and I've been in the TV production business for a little over 15 years. Before that, I had been doing music touring and stuff. And I also am a moderately interesting investor in terms of real estate and stocks and mutual funds and things like that. And I'm a father of two boys and a husband. Perfect. Thank you for that. So let's kind of loop back to that property in Philadelphia that Lolita mentioned back in 2003 that essentially fell on your lap. Can you tell us more about that property? Sure thing. Yeah. So 2003, I had just gotten engaged to someone that I'm not with anymore, but their family friend basically approached me and said, I'm selling this property in this really cool part of Philadelphia. Would you be interested in taking it over? And I didn't know anything about real estate. I hadn't been interested. I hadn't been looking, but it was like $80,000, you know, and it was in a great part of this cool town called Maniunk. So I went for it and it was 2003. I put down probably 10% and moved into it, fixed it up a bit, had my brother move in with me. We had somebody else move in with me and years went by and I realized I'm investing in real estate. Two years later, I went and bought another property in Florida and I realized this is my thing. So I was not looking for real estate, but real estate found me. Yeah. Okay, great. And so do you still have that property in Philadelphia or did you send sell it? I sold it. I sold it about two or three years ago. Okay, got it. But you started out basically house hacking, which is how I started as well. You know, I bought a house with very little down and then I just started putting my friends in there and they started paying me the rent and little by little I started getting rent for free. Yeah, it's nice. Exactly. Okay. And so what about the property in Florida? How'd that go? Was it the same type of situation? Yeah. So that was 2006 or so that I got that place. That was when you could buy a property through FedEx. A friend of mine was doing condo conversions in Orlando and me and another buddy got into two. He got into a unit. I got into a unit. I bought it for like 150 at the top of the market. Didn't know any better. The market took a downturn, but I still have the property actually to this day. And I'm glad I do. 
Yeah. How's it doing right now? I mean, it, obviously it made it through the downturn, but holding on to it, it sounds like it was the right move. Yeah, it was the right move. There was a period where I was sort of struggled with my own integrity of, I signed on for this and everybody was, you know, short selling and stuff like that. And for me, I was working through all of that. And so I didn't feel right trying to get rid of this property that I could still afford even when people maybe stopped paying rent and stuff like that. And so ultimately, I'm glad I stuck with it. I still have it. That's the one property that I still have that I'm actively owning and not counting on other people to take care of for me. Yeah. Right. So you obviously been through a downturn and own real estate through that downturn. So what are your sense about the market where we are today? And to be honest, if I would ask you this three weeks ago, it may have been a completely different answer. But with the coronavirus stuff going on, you know, what's your sense of where we are today and what's to come? Man, it's a scary time, but it's an exciting time because really from the market perspective, it's a great opportunity to get in on properties and investments because a lot of people are liquidating and I've been poised, I'm liquid ready for an opportunity like this. And so I'm excited about it. I think it's an opportunity for a lot of people that were prepared for it. And unfortunately, some people might not be prepared and hopefully they're able to take care of themselves and their families. But I feel like I'm ready for this. It's been a little over 10 years. And just like if you look at history, this market goes up and it goes down, it goes up and it goes down and I feel ready. So I'm looking forward to at least coming out of this. I don't like being in it, but coming out of this, I feel like I'm going to come out of it. Okay. Okay. And for the people that weren't, so let's go back to 2008. Were you severely affected in 2008? And that's kind of what prepared you for being ready this time? Yeah, I wasn't really ready for it. I was still coming up in my career and in real estate, I didn't have a lot of cash reserves. It was a tough time. But like I said, I kept working through that period. People stopped paying rent. So I had to kind of work with that. I think for me, the thing I learned was be ready and have reserves, either to get you through something or to capitalize on it. In 2008, did they have any type of mortgage forbearance from the lender? We just got news actually from Fannie and Freddie that they're going to be doing that as long as we agree not to evict any residents that are affected by this crisis as well. I don't think that we did at the time. It was sort of a roller coaster ride at that time. And I was just holding on and just like, as long as I can keep my job and keep paying the bills through this period, that's all I'm going to do. I mean, one thing I would want to do differently would be that I learned from it was if I could have hopped into more opportunities because people were losing their properties or they're selling their properties, I would have really liked to have gotten in then. But I was really just hanging on for the ride. Yep, exactly. When people are fearful, be greedy. And when people are greedy, be fearful, right? From Warren Buffett. Yeah. But real estate such a great example too, because you mentioned about in 2008, when it did crash, you were able to hold on and that property survived and is now a cash floor for you. And really where you get in trouble in real estate is where you're forced to sell at the bottom of the market. Yeah. As long as you have enough reserves and you have long-term debt, we can really ride it out and make things a lot better in the end. Okay, so would you still buy or invest in real estate during the downturn? So you mentioned that you wish you would have bought, and I'm guessing that's probably in 9 and 10. But yeah. what about right in 08 when we were in the thick of things? Would you still buy in that situation? Now, having been through a full cycle, the markets are going to come back. Either humankind is going to go away or the market's going to come back, right? And it takes people with that attitude, I think, to make sure that the markets come back. So I probably now would buy. If I could go back in a DeLorean, I would go back and buy then too. But I wasn't ready. I hadn't put aside enough to really go and capitalize on picking up a bunch of properties. For example, my property that I bought for $150,000 had dropped to about $40,000 in value. Mm -hmm. There was like three more. I just went, I was like, I got to buy these. And I didn't. 
Yep. You need to be prepared for that. Wow. So you had a 70% or so drop in value. Yeah. And I considered like selling or my friend short sold his and he was in a different situation than me, but it was an opportunity. I mean, because they weren't bulldozing those places. People are going to still need to rent. Yep. Okay. So let's say we're in a recession. What are some things you want to see from the sponsor? So we're moving over to syndication versus single family yeah. homes. What do you want to see in the underwriting during a recession or a slow period in the cycle to make you feel a little bit more comfortable about that specific opportunity? I think I'm looking for things like cash reserves and then also their renovation schedule that they are going to still keep people in the properties and turn them over one by one or in small groups. You know, it's a good question for you, actually. (laughs) As my GP, what do you do to buffer against these things? Yeah, I think you mentioned a really important point that just fits exactly what we're looking at today. If you're doing heavy value ads where you're going to not just go and naturally turn over the property with vacancy as you do your rehabs, when we do that, you're having natural turnover of 5% vacancy and you're remodeling those. But if you went in and you did 20, 30% of the units, you're now stuck in a really difficult situation as we're in the middle of the coronavirus crisis, those units are going to be almost impossible to rent up right now. And you're going to lose probably even more. So you are definitely taking on a lot more risk when you are doing more renovations at one time. Now you can look back and say, what are the chances that someone's going to get caught in this situation? But it happens and you want to protect yourself from the downside when you're investing in real estate. And that's kind of what we do. And so natural turnover is definitely one thing property needs a cash flow on day one with the new debt on it, locking up long-term debt, and then raising all the capital up front with reserves so you can implement your business plan, right? So those are all three things that we really focus on. And we do have reserves to get us through this downturn. And in some cases, one of our properties, we have enough for three years of no rents and we can take on the mortgage payment. On the other property, it's two years. So even though we're a little concerned about the situation for sure and what it's going to come and what it's doing to everyone, we can definitely withstand the downturn. So I'd say those are some of the things that we would do. One of the things actually that I learned from your meetups and getting to know you and as we went through and looked at the deal, the one that we're in in Arizona, that the way you guys positioned the rent to be not at the top of the market, to not try to be that person at the very top because that's the head that gets cut off. And that's something that I learned just only from you guys. So that's something else that I would say is when you're looking at people that if they're striving to be the number one highest rent, they're probably the first person to start losing renters because they don't want to pay the highest end of the rent for their class. You know? Yeah, exactly. We don't want to be at the top of the model for sure. We just want to be right in the middle of the pack. If it doesn't work in that situation, you're being a little bit too aggressive. You can't be the first to market when it comes to these types of things. You want to make sure that there's comps within that are above you and below you and you want to fit right there in the middle. So yeah. Okay. So what were your biggest hesitations in getting into a multifamily syndication before you dove head first and got into them and started investing in them? I think that probably the number one for me and for everybody else is usually like, who are these people? Who are these general partners that we're about to sign over our cash or our retirement money to? Have they earned this trust? Do they have the experience? Do they have skin in the game? And those are my hesitancies about who are these people. And I think that it was part of my natural education of getting to know you as well as reading books and listening to podcasts and things like that, hearing all of these things. I realized that you have to really know the people you're investing with. You guys might not be the number one person that has $500 billion worth of property, but I know you, I trust you. And I know that I can see you on a weekly basis. 
and talk to you more than just getting an email if I really wanted to. And that's important to me. Yep, absolutely. So you kind of already answered this question, but what else got you over the hump of investing in multifamily syndications? I had been used to for 15 years being the person that was involved as an active investor in my properties and then being like, I'm about to give a bunch of money to someone else. It was a control thing probably mm-hmm. for me because I'm used to managing budgets and cash flows in my job. There's this like, how do I trust them? And then you realize like you've been doing it. You're focused on it. It's your primary attention. And so I think learning that stuff about you and the other syndication that I'm with is like realizing you got to kind of get a feel for those people and ask a bunch of questions. So I felt that way about you. Yeah. I mean, look, you're an expert in what you do in your field, right? And you know how good you are at your job because that's what you do every day, day in and day out. And that's what most sponsors do. If that's their full-time job, this is what they do. They keep their finger on the pulse from everything from their market to the economy to everything. And so that's why you can rely on these sponsors, but you hit the nail on the head there. You got to know, like, and trust them and spend the time to really get to know who they are and how they are even within their business and outside of their business as well. It's, it's extremely important. Yeah. Okay. So now you've got two syndications, almost 400 doors. What do you see yourself in five years from a passive investing standpoint? I'd love to like triple that. I guess it's hard to say. Three weeks ago, I probably would have answered this differently. But right now, there's a part of me that is considering the idea of continuing to straddle active and passive. I think that it's about talking with people like you and continuing to be a passive investor, I'd say, easily for five more years. I think hopefully by about five years from now, I might get to be a part of a bigger project. But for now, I'm learning so much. And I think the life cycle of a syndication for five, six years, it's really important to me to sort of see that whole thing through as part of my own learning process before I move in and earn the trust of somebody else to do that as well. All right, Lolita is going to take us into our final four questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by asset protection attorney, Wayne Patton. We all spend a lot of time thinking about ways to make more money but how much time have you spent thinking about legal strategies to protect your wealth? Whether you're a professional, an investor, or an entrepreneur, you are at risk of being targeted in a lawsuit. Wayne is an attorney who specializes only in asset protection strategies like the use of offshore trusts. If you'd like to learn more about how you can protect your assets, visit mwpadden.com or assetprotection.law. Mention this podcast and Wayne will waive his customary $750 initial consultation fee. Again, the website is mwpatten.com or assetprotection.law. Or you can call Wayne at 877-727-1092. Call now and get protected today. All right, Sharky, what is the one tool you use in real estate investing that you could not do without? Is networking a tool? Absolutely. Yeah, I would say networking. I mean, I would say someone you guys know as well, Chris Collins. I think I learn from that guy all the time. He is a networking machine. And I think for Mm -hmm. me, I network in my business. What I realize I have to do is I have to network in the real estate business and getting to know who all the players are and getting them to know who I am, that I'm a serious person and a serious investor with a lot of questions. Yeah. Can you tell us a story about your biggest mistake in real estate investing and what is the main takeaway for our listeners? I guess I kind of mentioned it, which is I didn't 
buy properties when they had really been depressed back around 2008, 2009. I waited too long. I missed out. So I missed the boat on some of those things. So taking action. Yeah, that's a big one. What is it that you need to do now to grow your life to the next level? I need to hustle and I need to get focused more. Those would be the two things that I need to do. I spent a lot of time looking into a lot of this stuff, but I think that I need to focus on what I'm doing. If it's passively doing things or actively acquiring more properties myself, but taking action, I'd say, yeah. All right. And lastly, where can people find out more about you? Oh, they can email me at tiburoninvestments at gmail.com. That's tiburon, like shark, T-I-B-U-R-O-N, investments with an S on the end at gmail.com. Shoot me an email. Let's talk. Awesome, Sharky. Thanks for your time and sharing your insight with our listeners today. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Sharky. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please go to iTunes and leave a rating and written review to help us grow and reach more listeners. You can also go to the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Group on Facebook so you can connect with Kyle and Lolita and ask your questions that you want them to answer on the show. Subscribe too so that you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, to stay updated, head on over to limitless-estates.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with Kyle and Lolita, sign up on the Contact Us page so you can talk to them directly. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in again next week for another episode.